God, in what we tried to do in the garden to become like God, and we went our own way, and we tried by our own means to approach Your likeness, You did perfectly for us through the person of Jesus in coming and giving of Yourself and showing us not selfishness, but selflessness. You came as our hero, our king, our mighty God, our prince of peace, our everlasting father. God, as we gather together this morning, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth and to know who you are and to know who we are in light of your love. For it's your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, it is good again to see you this morning, and uh, we love to celebrate the truth that God has given to us. So if you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and let's celebrate that. We're going to look at a couple of passages, or a couple of verses this morning together. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Passages you're probably familiar with, verses you've heard uh, as you've gone through the Christmas story and, and read these things um, as you've been around church, or maybe if you're new to church, this will be new to you. And so we're glad you're here today if that's true for you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning of verse 6, Isaiah tells us this, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, and he will establish his kingdom and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so last week we began a teaching series called He Shall Be Called, and we're just looking at these names of Jesus that Isaiah the prophet gave to him uh, as he was thinking forward and praying forward about what God had revealed to him about who the Messiah would be, the Savior for Israel, who he would be. And he found uh, by God's grace and through God's wisdom that he would be this child who would be born to us. And so Isaiah prophesied and said, a child is coming and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And these were messages that Israel needed to hear during this time because what we talked about a little bit last week was that Israel was about to march into some of their darkest days as a nation. This takes place around 730 B.C. And what's about to happen in, in Israel as Isaiah is prophesying to these people is that the northern kingdom of Israel is about to go to war, a civil war with the southern kingdom of Judah. They're about to march into war with one another. And Isaiah says, that's not the only war that you're going to experience. When that one ends, the next thing that's coming is that God is sending Assyria, the king of Assyria. He's going to come against you as well, and he's going to bring his armies, and he's going to besiege Jerusalem. In 722 B.C., that takes place, and the temple is destroyed, and the Israelites are scattered and dispersed throughout the world. And so when we see all these things start happening, Isaiah is saying, here's what's coming. Here's what you need to understand. Here's what's about to take place. But there's hope in the middle of these things. And so Isaiah does what good prophets do. He says, there's a message that's coming that's not going to be great for you in this moment. But there's also a secondary message that you need to understand that will give you hope. And he says, for us, to us, a child will be born. And to us, a son will be given. And his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so last week, we talked a little bit about what happened when the unimaginable and the crazy things start taking place in our life and in our world, just like Israel experienced. And Isaiah said, when everything crashes down around you, here's what you need to know. You need to know that there is a wonderful counselor for you who has good, godly instruction, who has advice for your life. And so what Isaiah was telling the people was that you 
are going to go and consult mediums and spiritists and all these other things, and you're going to look for things that are going to give you answers and give you hope in the middle of all the chaos and the ruin that you're going to experience when these wars take place. But he says, shouldn't the people not do that? Should they not go to God first? And so he points us to this Savior, this Messiah who's going to come, and he says, when he comes, he will be the wonderful counselor. He will give you the counsel that you need. And so we talked a little bit last week about what it means for Jesus to be the wonderful counselor. Today, we're going to look at the second description of the Messiah that Isaiah gives. He says that Jesus is our mighty God. And so if you're taking notes this morning, you might just want to write down a few things or fill in the blanks here on a couple of things. When Isaiah says that Jesus is our mighty God, in Hebrew, the word for mighty God is El Gabor. Not Jaja Gabor, all right? El Gabor. And so, sorry, that one didn't land, did it? All right. We'll edit that one out of the podcast. It'll go away, and so nobody will ever remember that we talked about that. All right, but El Gabor, he says, there's going to be a mighty God. He is going to be your strength. He is going to be the one who comes for you. Isaiah had told Israel, you've begun worshiping idols. You've begun trusting in false gods for your security. So Isaiah tells the people, you're putting in your hope and your faith into all these other things, that they're going to save you, that they're going to rescue you somehow. And he says, you don't need to trust in them. You need a mighty God who will stand for you, who will fight on your behalf. And so Isaiah makes this prophecy and says, when the sun comes, he is going to be El Gabor. Gabor in hero means strong one or hero. And so Isaiah says there is a strong one coming. There is a hero who's on the way for you. So in Scripture, when this word is used primarily in this sense, it's about military power. It's about people, individuals, who display great heroic military might. And so Isaiah points and says, you think about these things. When I say that there is a Gabor who's coming, a hero who's coming, a champion for you, the people of Israel would have immediately gone back and started thinking about people who were from their past, their history, that were mighty military champions. And so you think about some people like David's mighty men. And if you don't know much about their story, I would encourage you to check them out in 2 Samuel chapter 23. But there were some guys that were in David's army that were just called the mighty ones, the mighty men of David, the Gabor of David. He, they were the mighty ones, the champions, the heroes. And so 2 Samuel 23 talks about a few of their uh, kind of conquests. And he says there were, was uh, two guys that David in the middle of a war said, man, I'm just so thirsty and I long to be back in Bethlehem. I wish that I could get water from the well of Bethlehem. And what do these two dudes go? They say, man, our king wants water from the well. Let's go there. And so they just fight through the enemy lines all the way to the well of Bethlehem, and they get water out of the well and go, now, we've got water in a cup. Let's carry it back. Fight their way through, sword fighting all the way back through, and get to David and go, here's your water, bro. Like, this is what you wanted, right? And David goes, oh, my gosh, what have I done? You guys put yourselves on the line for me to get water. That's crazy. And you would think, hey, the right thing to do in that moment would be to drink the water, right? He goes, I can't imagine that I put yourself, you're, you guys in harm's way like that. He pours the water out. Like, bro, we just fought through a whole army to get that water for you, right? Like, what's going on? Another time, David's mighty men, there's one man that the Bible says that he stood in the middle of a field, and when the enemy came against him, when everybody else retreated, he fought. He killed 300 men. It said that he fought until his hand froze to the sword. Like his hand was so embattled on that sword that it just froze. He couldn't let it go because he had fought, fought, and fought and killed 300 men. He, by himself, beat off the enemies of Israel. There's another guy that's in David's mighty men that the Bible says that on a snowy day, one day he noticed that there was a lion down in a pit. And so usually you'd go, hey, there's a lion in the pit. Get out of here. He jumped in the pit and killed the lion just for fun because it was snowing outside. I don't know, right? 
Like, that's all the Bible says about it. There was a man, snowy day, lying in a pit. He jumped in and he killed the lion. Like, that's all we know. But you're going, this, these are the guys. These are the Gabor of Israel, the mighty ones. And so when Isaiah makes these prophecies about him, this is what the people start to think about. And so when they often interpret it, and we've heard it probably your whole life if you've been around church and heard these things, that when the Israelites thought about the Messiah, they thought about a military champion who was going to come. When the Messiah came, he was going to free them from Rome or Assyria or whoever was their captors at the time. And yet when Jesus shows up, that's not his ambition. And so what Israel thought the prophecy meant was that he was going to be a military champion, that the Messiah would come and fight the physical battles that they had. And yet when Jesus shows up, he's not a military champion, he's a spiritual champion. Jesus comes as our spiritual champion. He fights the battles that we cannot fight. And they're bigger battles than Rome. They're battles that every one of us have. Jesus came to fight the battle against sin and death and hell and the grave. That's what Jesus came for. That's the kind of champion that Isaiah saw. And yet the Israelites thought, military champion, he's Gabor. And so when Israel or when Isaiah makes this prophecy, he begins to prophesy about the Messiah in a different way. The Messiah that Jesus or that Isaiah speaks of would, would be characterized by heroic acts of divine power. Not just a guy that's going to go out and fight a physical battle for you, but he's going to have divine power. And so when you think about that, if you think about it this way, Jesus' very birth is a heroic act. I mean, put it in the context of saying if Jesus is our hero, he's our champion, just him coming to earth is a heroic act. Like he takes on this mantle of hero and he goes, I'm going to come into the middle of the chaos. I'm going to come into the middle of the mess and I'm going to be there. And so what we need to see is that Jesus came to embark on a rescue mission of his chosen people. That when Jesus was born in a manger, it's not so that we could have a nice picture to put on our Hallmark cards to send out at Christmas time, right? Like it's great that we have the glowing ring around the baby Jesus' head with little oxen, lambs all around him and that kind of stuff. That's not why Jesus came. When the birth of Jesus took place, that was a military move by God the Father to send his son to the front line of the war and declare to Satan, your time's about to end. Here's my champion. He's coming. He's come. He's here to bring about my peace and my reign. So this was a strategic act by God to send his Savior to us. And we need to see it as that. That we don't just see somebody who's coming to give us nice Christmas cards, but we see it as somebody who's come to save us from our sins. Jesus came to do what we couldn't do. And so Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, we didn't have any ability to fight this war for ourselves, we were powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so you see this progression of our nature that we go, I can't fight for myself. Thousands of years of trying to keep the law had proven that we couldn't do it on our own. That we couldn't make the spiritual journey into eternal life by being good enough, that God had to do something on our behalf. And so he sends his son. He says, at the right time, at just the right moment in time, he sent his son. And when he did that, he sent him so he could be our champion, our savior. 
And when we start to see Jesus, we start to understand we're unworthy to even be fought for. There was nothing about us that we would go, oh, yeah, man, we did such a good job that God had to send his son to come and get us to rescue us because we just were so awesome. And that was just the only way it could happen was that we needed a savior. But we were so awesome that he just finally decided, man, you guys have done a great job. Let me give you the savior now. Like That's not how it worked. He says, when we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. When we were at our worst, in our hatred toward God, in our animosity against God, he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to be there for you, even though you don't want me at all. So John even said he came to that which was his own, and yet his own did not receive him. He came into the world, and the world that was made through him didn't recognize him. So we see this God who loves us so much that even though we're not worthy of a Savior, even though we're not worthy of him fighting our battle for us, he sent his son anyway. And he declared war on Satan. So when we think about Jesus as our mighty God, we see a heroic warrior with divine power who's fighting on our behalf. Now, the next blank on your outline, this is one of those things that I'm interesting to think through this week. Most all heroic figures are pushed into their roles due to extreme situations. And when you think about the people that we call heroes, most of them had something bad that happened to them in their life, and yet something around them happened, or there was a situation, a circumstance that was bad, and the right person at the right place at the right time stood up and did the right thing and became a hero in that moment. But it's usually because of the circumstances surrounding them that they go, something's wrong here, get in there and do something to fix the problem. And so they're typically kind of thrust into that role. Think about a couple of people, uh, some people that are, to some degree, household names to us, uh, one, in 2009, Chesley Sullenberger. We know him as Captain Sully. Anybody remember Captain Sully and the story of Captain Sully? Captain Sully was an airline pilot. And right after takeoff in 2009, his plane, as it was ascending into the air, hit a flock of geese and blew out both engines. And he, didn't, he wasn't going to be able to make it back to the runway, so he did the only thing that he could do. He went to land the plane in the Hudson River in New York City. Remember the story? It had never been accomplished before. A get out of the sky and into the water landing had never been done safely. And Captain Sully put that thing right in the water. There were 154 souls on board that plane, and all of them were saved because of the heroic act of Captain Sully. But he didn't get in the plane that day to say, I'm going to save everybody on this plane. He got in the plane, and then something tragic happened, and he responded rightly. The right person at the right place in the right time did the right thing. And he saved everybody on board. And he became a hero. became a national story. And still to this day, he's one of the most highly sought after speakers in our country. There's other people that we can think of. Maybe you're a sports person and you go, okay, sports heroes. And so who's your sports hero? And I don't know who yours is. This person's not necessarily mine, but his story's incredible. And so you think about somebody like Tom Brady. Sixth round pick out of the University of Michigan. Don't boo. It's fine. All right, whatever. I know we're in Peyton Manning country here. That's fine. But you've got this guy who goes, all right, he's a sixth-round pick. Listen, sixth-round picks in the NFL don't get to play quarterback. They just don't. They get to be the third or fourth-string guy on the team. And he was. He started out that way. But he worked his way up in his second season to the third-string quarterback, and his third season to the second string. He was the backup. And then in that third season when Drew uh, Brees, not Brees, Drew uh, Bledsoe got hurt in the week two or three, Brady got inserted into the starting lineup. And what happened? He just won and won and won and won and won and won, and he became a Super Bowl champion. Took the Patriots all the way to the Super Bowl his first year as a starter. He became a household name. He became a hero. He was the man, right? He has now become one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Why? Because he got a chance. Because something bad happened. Their quarterback got hurt. And he had no choice but to get thrown into the starting lineup. 
And so he went in and he's become one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. But we would never have known that if the right situation had presented itself and he hadn't got thrust into that scenario. Then you think about somebody like a young boy who was walking in an alley with his parents one night and they were tragically killed right in front of him. And because of that event, something happened that stirred up in him the need to fight crime in his city and to make a difference. And young Bruce Wayne <laughs> took on the mantle of the Batman, right? And he was a hero. He's our hero. He's not the hero we need. He's the hero we deserve, right? All those things. Sorry. But you think about these people and you go, this was thrust on him. He had this insane event that happened. And these are the kinds of stories that take place that thrust people into situations where they have to become a hero, have to do something, have to step up, have to fill a role. And yet when we think about Jesus, El Gabor, the mighty God, when Isaiah talks about him, he doesn't talk about him as just another hero. He talks about him as El Gabor. El is God in Hebrew. He says he's not just another hero. He is God the hero. He's not just another mighty one. He is God the mighty one. He is God the Savior, God the champion, God the hero. That's who he is. And he didn't stumble into something like there wasn't an event that took place in the middle of Jesus' life that he went, I've got to do something for these people of Israel. This is insane. Look at how badly they're being treated. Someone should do something. He didn't catch that glimpse halfway through his life and decide he was going to take on the role of a Messiah. Jesus was born into that role. He came to be our mighty God. He came to be our Messiah. He came to be God, our hero. And so you see it from the very first event of his life, at the earliest stages of his life, at the announcement of his birth in Luke 2.11. The angels said this about Jesus. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. They didn't say there's been a baby that's been born they said today there's been born a Savior. So if you have your Bibles, just circle that word Savior in Luke 2.11 because that's important. He says when he was born, he was born Savior. He didn't become Savior when he died and rose back from the grave. He accomplished his mission at that point, but he was born Savior. He was born champion. He was born hero. He was our mighty God from the very beginning. And the angel said a Savior's been born to you. Later in Jesus' life, about a month into Jesus' life, in Luke chapter 2, if you want to flip over there and look at this, Luke chapter 2, in verses 22 through 35, Jesus is presented at the temple after his birth. He's about a month old, a month and a half old. It says this in verse 22, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord. And you can find that in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 18. If you take notes in your Bible, just write Leviticus 12, 8 down and go back later and look at it. Leviticus 12, 8. It says this, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So Simeon had been given a promise. Simeon, you're going to live to see the Messiah of God, the mighty God that Isaiah prophesied about. You're not going to die until he shows up. Imagine what that would look like. 
Imagine if that same thing was true about us. We talk all the time about the fact that this could be the generation, this could be the year, this could be the age when the Messiah doesn't come for the first time but returns for us. We live in that expectation of a second advent. The first advent when Jesus came, the second advent that he is once again coming again to get us and take us home. So we live in that hope, but we have no promise that that's going to happen in our lifetime. Simeon had been promised. You're not going to die until you lay eyes on the Messiah of God. Imagine what that would have been like. Imagine how you would have gotten up every single day going, this could be the day. I'm getting older now. This could be the day. I could see the Messiah today and then my life could be done. I could die in peace. God will send his Messiah. This could be the day. Every day, Simeon lived that way. And then listen to what he says. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what is said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so Simeon, with a month-old child, he sees this child and he's revealed to him, that's the Messiah. And he starts to talk about him. He says, This one, this one will be a light to the Gentiles. He'll be the salvation of Israel. This one. He knew it at his birth. Because Jesus didn't stumble into his heroic role. He came for that very purpose. Jesus came here in this world to be the Savior of all mankind. He is the mighty God. That's why he came. And so when we start to see these things, we start to recognize that Jesus has a role that He is more powerful than we could ever imagine. In fact, when we think about salvation, our salvation depends on Jesus being the mighty God. Your salvation depends on Jesus being able to do what you can't do for yourself. You cannot save yourself. You can't do enough good. You can't be good enough. You can't make enough great things happen. You can't earn your way into heaven. There's not enough Girl Scout cookies you can sell. There's not enough old people you can walk across the street. There's not enough grocery bags you can carry in the parking lot at Food City. You cannot do enough good things. You can't give away enough money. You can't support enough charities. There's nothing that you can do of your own that will get you into heaven. You need a champion. You need a hero. And Jesus came to be that hero. And so when we think about that, we start to see that there's a story in Scripture that talks about our salvation is dependent on one who is mighty enough to save us. But a story is told in Luke chapter 11, and so I want you to see that with me if you have the chance to flip over in your Bible. Luke chapter 11, starting verse 14. Jesus has been healing people, and it says this in Luke 11:14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute, and when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. And then the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, Jesus is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom that's divided against itself will be ruined. And a house that's divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? So I say this, because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul, 
Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by who do your followers drive them out? So then, they'll be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, I just love that, just by the finger of God. Like, God doesn't even have to get up and break a sweat. He's just like, I'm just going to move these demons out of here. Like swiping your iPad. Gone, demon. Like, gone, right? So because by the finger of God I do this, then if that's the truth, the kingdom of God has come upon you. In verse 21 he says, When a strong man who's fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted, and he divides up his plunder. And so Jesus is accused of driving out demons as a demonic power himself, and yet he says, here's the truth. All men are born into Satan's kingdom. We have a nature that, that means we're born into sin. We're born separated from God at the very beginning. And because we're separated from God, Satan has power over us. He has control over us. We're in his house, and he's a strong man with armor on that is guarding his house so that nobody gets out alive. He goes, you were born into that. And Satan's trying to keep you there. But the only way you get out of the strong man's house who's trying to keep you locked up and keep you suppressed and keep you away from God is if a stronger man comes. And Jesus, in essence, says, I'm the stronger man. You see me casting out demons? It's not because I'm part of the kingdom of demons. It's because I'm more powerful than demons. It's because I can step up to the plate and tell Satan to get out of my way. And by the finger of God, I move him because I'm the stronger man. And so we see this champion, mighty God, who comes to us and says, I'm fighting on your behalf. I'm here. And I can bring you out of Satan's kingdom and I can bring you in to my kingdom. I will take you out of a kingdom of darkness and bring you into a kingdom of light. I will take you out of death, spiritual death, separated from God, and I will bring you to spiritual life, united with God, your creator, so that you can have hope for your future. Because I'm the strong one. I'm the mighty God. I'm the one who can come against the strong man and I can move him out of the way. And so we start to put these pieces together and we say Satan's got a hold on this world, but Jesus came to destroy Satan's stronghold. Now here's the beautiful part of what that means for us. And I think this is the last blink on your outline. What this means for us is that weakness isn't a fatal flaw when your life is in the hands of a mighty God. Because here's where we mess up all the time. Uh, I'm too weak. I just can't do enough. There's not enough good in me. God, God can't possibly use me. We there's not anything valuable in my life. And he goes, I'm, I'm so weak. And we see weakness as a fatal flaw. And God comes along and says, your weakness isn't a fatal flaw when your hand is in the life of the mighty God. Because what God does is he gives you the ability to stand strong even in your weakness. And not just to stand strong, but to glory in it. And so Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians, he was talking about the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh and he begged God to take it away from him multiple times. And we don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was that Paul had. There are a lot of speculations as to what Paul was dealing with. Paul said about himself, he said that it was a messenger from Satan that was sent to torment him. But we don't know exactly what he was dealing with. But whatever it was, he, Paul felt that it weakened him. He felt that this thing held him back in life. I want to do these things, but I've got this weakness, this messenger from Satan that's tormenting me. And he asked God, take it away. Get rid of this thing. Help me get rid of this. Help me get out from underneath this weight. Take it off of me, God. Let me have power in you. And Jesus started to say to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
so you start to see Jesus come in and say, your weaknesses that you're so concerned about, don't, don't worry about that. My power is made perfect in your weaknesses. You, you bring your weaknesses to me. I'll be powerful for you. I'll be strong for you. I'll be your mighty God. I'm the one that is the champion that can hold you. When you're weak, that's not an issue. Bring your weakness to me. I'll be strong on your behalf. And so Paul starts to respond. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So here's good news for us. Our weaknesses are not a fatal flaw because God is our champion. He's our hero. He's our mighty God. He stands in the gap for us. He says, you bring your weaknesses to me. Boast in your weaknesses. I've got weaknesses. Isn't it great? I'm so, I'm so thankful for the weaknesses I have in my life because when it forces me to my knees that I go, God, I can't do this. Will you do this on my behalf? And God goes, yeah, I'm right here. I'll take, I'll take that. Let me deal with that. Let me do for you what you can't do for yourself. Let me be your hero, your champion. That's where God's calling us to. And so when we think about these things then, let us confess our weaknesses and learn to trust in Jesus' power. We can acknowledge our insufficiency to look for His strength. We can stop fighting battles in our own power and ask Jesus to fight for us. And so today... Some of you may feel like you can't go one step further. Like you crawled here today. Getting up this morning, you're just like, I don't even want to do this. Some of you have been fighting so hard and Jesus is saying, would you just rest in me? It's okay for you to be weak in this moment. I'll fight for you. That's where some of us are today. Some of us today feel trapped by our weaknesses. Things that you feel like they limit you. But you have a mighty God who can overcome your limitations. In fact, He wants to learn. He wants you to learn to delight in your weaknesses so that you can marvel in His strength. He's just waiting on you to get that clue to go, this is what you need to understand. When you're weak, I'm strong. It's okay. Be weak because I'm strong. And then some of us today, others of us are trying to fight sin and temptation on our own power, but we're failing miserably. You know what tempts you. You know what your struggles are with sin. And you're trying to find, I can be good enough. I can get over this. I cannot sin anymore. I can, I can surpass the temptation. And yet you stumble into it over and over and over again because you're not strong enough. And Jesus is going, stop trying to do this on your own. I'll step in there for you. I'll fight for you. You come to me when you're tempted. You come to me when you feel limited. You come to me when you're weak. When you're struggling with sin, don't try to fight it on your own. You come to me, bring it to me, I'll fight for you. And so this morning I'm going to ask some of the musicians to come back up because here's what we want to do as we close out this morning. We just want to recognize again today that Jesus is our mighty God. He is God the hero. He is the champion. And when we see this God who serves on our behalf, we know we can come to Him and say, whatever it is that I struggle with, whatever it is that I deal with, I have a champion who fights for me. And so this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Maybe you're really struggling in some areas right now in your life. 
and you don't see the way to get the help you need. You don't know what it's going to take. You don't know if you can overcome, and you just need a champion. You need a hero to fight for you today. You're at your last wit's end. You're done. You crawled here. You're fighting against sin and temptation, and you don't know how you can possibly stand. And you need a champion. And you have a champion. You have El Gabor, mighty God, the God champion, the God hero. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning as we kind of reflect on this message and as we get to sing again and worship again, here's what we're going to do. If you need prayer this morning, if you just would say, I need somebody just to pray for me, I need a champion today. I've been trying to do this on my own. My power's not enough. I feel weak at all fronts and all sides and I need a hero to step in for me. I need somebody that will fight my battles for me. I've been trying on my own and it's not working. And I need a hero who will step in. Jesus is that hero for you. God is your hero. Jesus came to deliver you from sin and from temptation and from death. He's your hero. Maybe some of you this morning would say, I still feel like I'm trapped in the house of the strong man. My life is completely, totally hidden in darkness. I am outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I need a hero. I need Jesus to be my hero today. Whatever it is that you would say, I just need God's power in my life. I'm going to ask you if you would just to raise your hand and say, I, I just need somebody to pray. I need a hero. Just raise your hand if you need somebody to pray around you. And here's what we're going to do, church. I want you to look around. Because as you see hands go up, I want you to move to some people and just say, I'm praying for you. Hey, listen, you don't have to tell us what you're struggling with. You don't have to tell us your issues. You don't have to say anything to us. God knows your need. He knows where you're struggling. He knows what you need Him to be a champion for in your life. We just want to come around you and just pray that God would, through your weaknesses, be strong. And so if you would, just take a second, just raise your hand and say, I need somebody to pray for me this morning. And then as people raise their hand, church, would you just kind of move around some people? And just move toward them. You can do that now. Just go to people with their hands up. And just say, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God will be your mighty God in this moment. Some people back here in the back of the room, if you can move back there to pray for them. Just say, I need a hero. I need a champion. And I want somebody to be praying for me. We're just going to take a minute to pray. We're going to ask God to be the hero that you can't be for yourself are one of those people that say, I feel like I'm stuck in that dark, lonely place where I'm in Satan's control and I need out of that. I want salvation through Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Before you leave here today, come and find me. I'm going to be at the table right outside these doors to the left after the service. If you would just come to me and say, I need a Savior. I want a Savior. I need Jesus in my life. Just come and find me. I want to talk to you after the service is over. Just share with you about the peace and the hope and the joy that Jesus brings to your life. So let's just pray. Pray for those who need it. 